Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 548 on Tuesday, the 24th of October, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be discussing a perfectly predictable predicament. In new new car news, we chat about yet another electric SUV, but there is an upside to it. And in points of interest, we recommend learning more about a soggy field full of vans. And we go straight into the new news. Well, it's sort of follow-up, really, this one. This kind of borderline. Yeah, but the SMMT is now getting much more vocal on the desperate need for the rules of origin, or RUE, as they are now calling it. It's truth. <laughs> the uh, rules of origin about electric vehicles, that new tariff they want it to be put back a couple, maybe three years. I can't remember exact timings on that now, but it's certainly at least a couple. And they are now making it very clear what it'll, or what they predict it will cost per vehicle on average in terms of price hikes. Mm. For any EU-made battery EV, the price will go up on average per vehicle. And this seems to cover everything from buses down to cars. Take of the average what you will. Mm-hmm. £3,400 extra, Uh but if it is a UK-made EV battery vehicle going back into Europe... There ain't many of them, (laughs) That is 3600 Well, that hurts the likes of Nissan. It does. It's another oven-ready cluster, isn't it? Mm. Well, no, it's okay, because the government have said if they don't like what the EU says to the apparently... Ongoing and productive negotiations. Mm-hmm. God, it's so hard not to laugh at every statement that comes out, really. But it's far too serious to. But if they don't like what the EU will put up with, then the government have said, we will come up with our own rules of origin mm. uh, and we'll do whatever we like. Um, but as it says, uh, there's going to be two articles linked. First is from SMMT explaining the rules of origin and the costs. And the second is from Autocar Business discussing this new move by the government that I think is meant to reassure business, but I don't see how it can, because if we are creating a smaller market that has its own rules next to a giant neighbour, then we become less attractive to invest in because we're harder to deal with. Constantly. One of the statements in the article does make it clear that the Secretary of State for Business offered no explanation or indication of how this might work, nor how it would benefit the UK industry. I feel that this there will be an agreement reached because this hurts the European car makers as well. And that's why the agreement will be reached. Yeah. If it was just one way, then it's like tough luck. Talking of tough luck. <laughs> yes. Uh, meanwhile, in global trade news, China will be placing from the 1st of December 2023, a new export tariffs for graphite. This doesn't mean that your pencil is going to get more expensive because there are multiple different grades of graphite, and these tariffs only apply to certain grades. Coincidentally, those grades happen to be the ones uh, which are used for battery production. Many EV batteries used graphite as uh, the anode, I believe, in the packs. So it's really quite a desirable material that whenever you're trying to create EV batteries, like so many people are. Obviously, this uh, will push prices up, whilst at the same time making more available 
internally in China and pushing their costs down. This will particularly hit some of the other countries nearby who rely on China uh, for a lot of their graphite resources. South Korea, for example, it being one of those, uh, and they're going to have to start relying on the US and Australian mines instead. Much further to bring it, whole new supply chain will probably need need brought into place. Obviously, costs will rise there, and again, that gives China more of a competitive advantage right at the moment when it comes to batteries and, and EV production. Yep, Interesting to hear. It's one of those things which is going to potter on and on. This isn't the first such new set of uh, taxes in this vein. Gallium and germanium are, have already had similar taxes applied. They're important for semiconductor production. Again, it's lots of little screws on various parts of sort of high-tech industries outside of China, just adding a little bit more cost uh, at every point. And that, of course, gets multiplied. And then basically what we go out to buy, the price we pay uh, increases uh, as well. Yep, nice little flex from China, just as the first of the Chinese EV companies start presenting their evidence to the EU inquiry. Speaking of EVs, yes, obviously there's loads of EV use these days, probably noticed. The UK government is putting 200 million of the uh, zero emission funding that it has set aside into four demonstration projects for eHGVs, electric heavy goods, and demonstrating how they are going to be usable in the future. Mm-hmm. And because I think it's something like our largest, it is now officially recorded that the largest producer of carbon emissions is the transport industry in all its widest breadth so that's from ships to cars to motorbikes to lorries everything and planes that now contributes the most to the uk's carbon emissions Mm -hmm. it's overtaken energy production yeah uh, last year i think it was yeah energy production's right down and 20 percent of those transport emissions are from hgvs they're also indispensable right at the moment yes because you know there were some advantages to new rail lines. Mm, yeah, people forget that. But the, this funding is going to put 370 electric HGVs on the roads, and it's also going to help build 57 refueling and charging sites. So I presume they're talking about hydrogen electric vehicles as well as part of that. It is again, to try and show the industry, who are quite conservative and very, very incredibly cost conscious because they have to be to show them that this is a workable replacement for what they're doing now Mm -hmm. Uh, not sure it is at this very second but as the technology improves and as the more and more charging hgv dedicated charging sites are brought online that's a, a real big fly in the ointment of all this then it becomes more doable yeah, I was reading this. I hadn't realised that there was a consortium called Electric Freightway, an EHGV charging network project. It's being led by GridServe and obviously many other companies in, involved in it. But it's working on this to to actually get that infrastructure in place. Because as we were discussing before the show, the challenges with HGVs is that one, they're generally working two-way time. They expect a delivery has to be somewhere mm. on the same day, but take the point. And the other one is, of course, driver's hours rules, uh, which I got wrong last week. Apologies for that. And was corrected. 
And if you don't get a charger, it's not just a case of, well, I'll, I'll go get a coffee and come back and then plug in at any of these. It's a case of you, you need the chargers to be there and available and not waste lots and lots of time because you're going to have a minimum 45 minutes rest. So you, you're going to aim to have 46 minutes of rest and then be on the road. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone uh, in the week about this and they were saying it probably will require a booking system. Yes, I would imagine so. Because you can't just, I mean, now, nowadays, uh, and this is not to say that ICE is better than EV, just don't, I'm not doing that, but I'm just demonstrating. Go there. You can rock up to a petrol station or a fueling station and you may have to wait a little bit because there's somebody else filling or maybe there's another one in front of that. Hmm. It is a whole different ballgame when it's charging a vehicle. As we all know and agree, it does take longer. And I think that this is one of those times and one of those costs that people don't necessarily include whenever you're talking about hydrogen. Mm. The fact that you can refill in 10 minutes, yeah, 5-10 minutes, like you can with diesel. It's the added cost. It's not just the cost of the fuel, it's the cost of the time. The yeah. Da, 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 da. People are very focused on, oh, the costs uh, or the uh, the outcome of producing the vehicle to fueling the vehicle to it being on the road, but they forget that HGVs are there as a mechanism to keep the country running, but also they mm. are there to earn money, and that's mm. that's a different perspective than I need my car to go to on holiday to the other end of the country. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different mindset. Yeah, once a year I go on this long drive, so I need a diesel, as opposed to 600 miles a day quite easily, at least. Yeah, so it, what we're trying to say is it, it, it is much more complicated than a lot of the discussion around it has mm. so far allowed. Oh, it is. Yeah, it very much is. Anyway, shall we move on to another fun UK government story? Yes, once again, the UK government, lucky them. And we will be sponsored by them soon at this rate if we keep mentioning them. I don't know. It's not much of a sponsorship. We keep having to pay them money. (laughs) The UK government have been urged to improve roads in the North and the Midlands. There is a 27.4 billion road investment strategy programme. And only 22% of that is being spent outside the South. Well, that's not a great surprise, is it? No, it's not a great surprise. I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, nobody in the I mean, no, no, nobody in the north needs. You don't need trains. You don't need roads. I mean, you should just stay in your village and mine your rocks. The financial numbers aren't necessarily totally reflective. So, whenever you are building a road in the south, you can build a short road, and it's very expensive. Uh, whereas the cost of land and stuff further north does get cheaper, so you can build more road for the same amount of money. This isn't an excuse. This is just explaining it. It is definitely needed, and of course, there need to be better connections between places as well. But the actual financial number is, is probably not a total balance. Yeah. What I'm making a right hash of saying is it's not 22% of the roads or the road distance or anything. No. It's, it's 22% of the money which will go further outside of those. So I love the last line in this, this autocar story. Uh, the government is expected to respond formally to the report within 12 months, which really means the government's going to hope that we've all forgotten about this report within 12 months. Yes. Do you want to take us to uh, what looks like quite a sad story, actually? Yes. Volta trucks. So another EV, we've, we've talked about arrival in the past. Mm, not always glowingly. 
no cool looking vehicle management issues just stuff not in place that should have been in place severe lack of focus i think is how we could put it yes well volta trucks seem to have been suffering the same severe lack of focus as well well we mm-mm. well it is rumored yeah okay it it is rumored that they suffered the same lack of focus which meant that when their key parts and battery supplier proterra went bust in august the vehicle the trucks were so closely built around the Patera technology that basically they need to complete redesign. Uh, people aren't prepared to raise the capital for that again because that's going to be costly, set the whole project and program back. And they would need to find another battery supplier and know that they've got that dialed in, but they haven't managed that yet. As a result, they have already gone bust in Sweden and they will be filing for bankruptcy in the UK. Mm. It is hoped that it will be sold as a going concern. Yes. Yeah, there, there, were, there was at least one article from a former employee that made quite a number of... Allegations? Allegations, yes, in there. But we noticed that that's been taken down from that yeah. site. So, And that's um, where we get the, the hints of arrival in some of the things that yes. we because we read we managed to read it before it was taken down let's be honest here we're not talking about the whole trips to the cayman islands oh the, the and, office out uh, there that you could go and work anytime you liked and be yeah. paid to travel out there and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and, no, the, yeah. and the developing a new jet and all that kind of stuff so we're n- n- not that no not that okay but it did appear that in certain areas things well this is what that there was naivety around the marketplace yes. or it is alleged <laughs> it allegedly yeah, I think we've got. Oh, have we said? Have we said enough? Allegedly's, possibly's, and it was hinted at. G- given that our, our legal funding is about this tin of this tin of ginger mints, <laughs> I think we've managed to cover ourselves enough. Just yeah, there. and it and it is a shame, and and we hope that it is moved on because it did. The the vehicle looked good. The idea looked good. They were actually testing in London. Remember? Yeah, it felt like until the supplier went pop but it felt like it was Mm. being handled better. Yes, well, it was. Anyway, let's move on to JLR next. Yes, this came out over the weekend. We're going to refer to a car dealer article that is linked in the show notes, and the headline is exclusive, 10,000 Jaguar Land Rovers off the road due to huge parts shortage. Can I just say that that first line, actually, when you read... The first, the next so two, first two paragraphs of the story. That's not quite true because what it then goes on to say is some ten thousand cars are currently awaiting parts across the country, with five thousand of them stuck off the road at car dealership. Only five thousand are off the road due to a huge parts shortage at dealers. We don't know about the others, but yes, you are right. There is nothing further down to confirm it's ten thousand off the road. No, but there are five thousand off the road at dealers. And Alan did a little calculation beforehand. Well, yeah, well, so that's about 35 cars per dealership. Because we did a whole... So we were sitting here, and we were debating between ourselves. That sounds like a big number. Is it actually a big number? How can we get some context around that number to try and help ourselves understand? Because, you know, it could... There could quite easily be 10,000 Fords, Fords waiting for parts at any one time. Mm. I know they have a much bigger market share, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, is it actually a big number? I know it sounds it. And, yeah, whenever we came down to the, okay, so they need to find to, on average, 
store 35 to 36 vehicles per dealership. You go, oh, okay, I can understand why they don't have storage space for that. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem to be a bit of a challenge. I could go through a bunch of this story. People are unhappy. I-, I can imagine why. But it seems that the root cause is that they are trying to build a new global parts logistics center named Mercia, which has taken 18 warehouses. Ooh, all the redundancy. Excellent. Condensed into one million square foot site, as well as changing parts supplies and bringing a number of legacy systems all together in one go, which was courageous. As someone whose job is these kind of things, that's courageous. That's consultant speak for, oh my God, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> you doing? Well, that, that is when you just outlined that project there. Yeah. In, in consolidating all that into one, that is somebody who has purely looked at a spreadsheet and a final figure and gone, yes, do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you would want, I mean, I mean, it may well be that they've also got uh, other depots around the country where there is some redundancy just in case something happens flooding, fire, stuff. Mm. I'm sure that they'll have that kind of thing in place as well. Yeah, but all the same, they're still saying they've got 80 lorries, that's eight zero, waiting to unload, backlogs in packing. But just, <sighs> I've worked in warehousing. Uh, I've worked in logistics. You've worked in logistics. You've worked in consultancy. Like you say, you, your job now is these transformation projects, large transformation projects. Hmm. And this sounds like a huge, huge mess up that is now directly affecting their bottom line because people are openly saying in this article, I don't think I'll get another one of these. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of stuff leaves bad taste in people's mouths. Yeah. I think we should move on before we kick JLR more because it's, it's very easy to do it. Andrew. Yes. This is the sad news that Alpina founder Burkhard Boven Sipen has died at the age of 87. If we re- remember, we mentioned the company last year because a BMW had bought the Alpina brand rights, but the company wasn't just about, or it was not originally about, making BMWs be the best they could be, probably. <laughs> this was a, a company that started out with office supply equipment, and also they, had, they did, or, or do, winemaking. BMW don't get hold of the wine, though. No, no, they're only getting the car bit. They're not the wine distribution part. Yeah. Yeah. Alpina is one of those brands that really stands out in actually enhancing an already good product. Mm-hmm. And that is a rare thing. They, they didn't just slap some cladding on and go, ooh, look at that. They actually made the cars fundamentally better, nicer, faster, whatever. Fundamentally different from what the manufacturer was from what BMW were producing. It was a complementary. Mm, yeah. Very much complementary as opposed to, as you say, stick on some bits. Yeah. That is a shame. I mean, thoughts obviously to his family and friends at this time. Absolutely. Greenwich Council next. <laughs> Greenwich Council from July 2022 until September 2023. If you raised an appeal against a penalty notice for something like driving into a bus lane when you didn't realize it was a bus lane or or anything like that then the appeal was automatically uncontested yes uh, citing no evidence in every instance 
Greenwich Council was saying that this was because they didn't have enough staff at the time. They now have two people working on it full time. Uh, so this this obviously isn't happening anymore. And by this, you mean that it's not 100% successful in appeals? <laughs> yeah. It could only be 97% successful, perhaps. <laughs> it's just, it won't automatically go straight through. And this was discovered entirely by accident by a BBC correspondent who who had accidentally ended up very briefly in a bus lane and got the a penalty notice and and tried to contest it and it was remarkably easy and he thought that seems strange yeah and he spoke to other people who contested it and they said oh yeah we got it thrown out as well that said uh, across the whole of london if you do get a penalty notice at the moment moment or over the last short last while there's been a 48 percent chance of appeals being successful if you feel that you've been done accidentally and you know that it won't, it's a, it's not a case of it's a fair cop, mate, mm. which sometimes happens, yeah, yeah. then for goodness sakes, appeal. Yes. For goodness sakes, appeal. For the effort or the, the, the effort and time, it could well save you 130 quid or whatever. Right. I'm going to take us to Australia now. And there is an Australian student called Alexander Burton who has won an award for developing the idea of affordable electric car conversion kit. Now, we'll get into some of the caveats with this and some of the question marks that have been raised. Can I raise the first one quickly? I know you're going to get into them, but it's a, it's a hybrid conversion kit. Yes. That's the first thing which people seem to be missing. Yes, it's titled Rever. that's Rapid Electric Vehicle Retrofits, They've all got to have a fancy name, but it's all using proper letters. So, I mean, well done. <laughs> that wouldn't proper have happened letters, he means capitals, everyone. That, that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. No, because the E would have been a three or something. Oh, that's true. Right, 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 <laughs> yeah, I get your point. Yes, yes, yes. That, that is to be applauded. Now, the, the idea behind this is that the, an electric motor is fitted to each of the four corners or under, behind the wheels over the top of the braking mechanisms. Um, but that, that raises questions. We'll get into that in a minute. Don't, I have so many. Yes, you do. Uh, and they are valid. And then there would be some wiring to a battery that is held either in the boot or underneath the bottom of the car at the back. Again, question marks raised over that. But you still maintain the internal combustion engine, and this just helps take the load off using it all the time. Now, he, he feels that he could be able to produce this for around 5000 Australian dollars and that it will be compatible with virtually any car. Now, this all sounds great in principle. However, and now I hand over to this week's sceptic correspondent, Alan. That's £2,640. Yeah. And in addition to the motors, which fit behind the wheels like massive wheel spaces, so you're probably going to need new wheels as well to make everything fit inside the arches and be safe. Okay. Then parts attached to the brake calipers as well to form the appropriate fields in the electric motors because you have to have one stationary, you know, you have to have stationary magnets and moving magnets or moving coils as well to induct the charge. I think that's the right terminology, but electronics is not great. But yeah, so you're attaching bits to that. Not only that, you've also got the fact that whenever the engine is off, then somehow you've got to provide power steering and everything. And again, this is £2,640, he's saying. 
I feel that the fitting of all of this is going to at least double the cost, if mm. not more. I'm slightly dubious about whether it fits and how you do it, because you'd also have to then buy new wheels as well. Well, does it work? I think is the I'm first. sure it works. It, I'm well, sure it works. From a physics point of view, I'm sure it works. And the theory is good. The th- I like the idea. I just don't actually think it's it's actual real life that it's that it's going to come to fruition as it is envisaged now. Yes, I think the, I think the easy work has been done, and I don't yeah. mean that in a dem- demeaning at all way. But as someone who's Johnny the Garris is still very much an ongoing project, and that's using bits from the manufacturer in the same manufacturer's vehicle. And there's other bits here, like how does the engine know that it's now meant to be running as a hybrid? Mm-hmm. How does it know when to bit between them? How does it know when to turn off? How do we, are you going to confuse the heck out of it by having your wheels still rotating whilst the engine's off? Is it going to have a? Is the ECU going to freak out? I, I I really like the idea. I like the idea. Yeah. I just don't think that some of the numbers being quoted at the same time are realistic in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Or that, it, or that, as it is envisaged, it would actually do what he hopes it to do at whatever cost. Oh no, I think it could work at a, a at a cost, but I don't think it would be. I don't think it's going to be a significant saving over doing it right. No, but I I love the idea doing it right of retrofitting really bad, something to help lessen the impact of existing vehicles. Yes. That is something that would be yes, absolutely. That yes, we yes, would. Yes. I mean, he makes the point in the in the article that is linked in the show notes. He does make the point that he's hardly anybody is looking at doing that. It is either swapping out the whole mechanism, mm. uh, the, the internal combustion engine, and sticking an electric motor in, which costs tens of thousands of pounds to do currently. Yeah, is there a way to do something in between that lessens mm. the emission impact but adds the benefits of electric? type driving bear in mind this design article is not hugely detailed this stuff there could be answers to many of the things i'm saying i just haven't read them yep that's all do you want to quickly charge our batteries in japan yes well we'll go quickly and we won't stop uh how to where do we where to start introducing this story so induction charging uh for vehicles it's been around for a long time it's been talked about for a long time some Large technology companies have invested an awful lot of money in it mm. uh, and then decided not to do it because other bits weren't going so well, I guess. And uh, we've talked about it when stationary. And ever since we started the podcast about eight years ago, we've been talking about doing it whilst the vehicles are on, on the move. Yes. We've talked about systems near the German town of Ballingen. Uh, where they were running trials this year. There were places in Belgium, which we've talked about in the past, which have since stopped because the, something wasn't robust enough. Uh, there's another pilot scheme slated for, for Nottingham. This is something which keeps cropping up. A bit like solid-state batteries. <laughs> yes. What makes this interesting is that what they're talking about doing in Japan isn't putting in like a kilometre-long roadway that does this. They're talking about putting small induction chargers under the road surface at places like traffic lights. Yes. Because they're saying a 10-second charge will will give a typical electric car one kilometer's worth of electricity. And if you do that lots, 
if you're in in densely populated areas, you might be stopped at traffic lights for 30 seconds, stopped at traffic lights for 30 seconds, stopped at traffic lights for 30 seconds within three or four kilometers. And so it's going to greatly reduce how much your battery is depleted. Created a perpetual machine, Alan. Well, no, not really, because there is still energy going into under the road. But you create an EV which requires significant less plugging in, and that's really yeah. important in places like Japan where there's not a lot of parking, mm. particularly off-street parking and stuff. That would help EV owners, so small city EVs, might be able to actually go out for a drive and get back. If, you, if you're really unlucky with the traffic lights, you get home with more charge than you're left with. Yes. But but interestingly, the system also talks about that it won't be on all the time. It'll uh, mm. it'll detect when a EV that's capable of charging wirelessly yeah. rocks up, and then it'll fire up, as it were. Yeah, yeah, and it'll fire up in fractions of a second and stuff. It's very cool. cool. The idea is that it would be a, a precast coil, so you wouldn't be winding each time. It just be sinks into the roadway, skimitar over the top, and away you go. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting idea. They're putting in a demonstration unit. It's backed by people like University of Tokyo, Chiba University, a bunch of companies including Bridgestone, NSK, and Rome Semiconductor, ROHM uh, Semiconductor. That's kind of cool. I, I really but like I, that story. I don't think we've yet got... I mean, this, this is a great next step with it, but I don't think we've got the basics right yet. How do you mean? I don't think induction charging is working yet. I mean, like you said, you know, there was the place in Belgium that shut down, the one in Nottingham... We talked about so long ago, I thought it had already started, but they're finding problems. I've seen it working, but only as an aftermarket fitted. I, I've seen the Qualcomm. Oh, no, I forgot what it's called now. But they sold that off to another company because they couldn't get it to go beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. It was being used very successfully for Formula E support vehicles and stuff. Okay. The, one of the challenges was the accuracy of just how neatly you were parked above it. But you still, oh, okay. you could be accurate within five centimetres in any direction, if I remember rightly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, do, I, I, I want it to work, but I, I, it's like the solid state. It'd be great when it happens, if it happens. It's one of those. Well, on that happy note brings us to Giltman, of course, the quick break in the show, where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel like motoring podcasts worth small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that and some of you do so, thank you very much. Then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you everyone that does. It is yes. much appreciated, and we know that works. All right, new new car news. And now I'm going to start with uh, a good good story. I, whilst it is an electric SUV, the upside is that it's an electric SUV that doesn't cost in excess of £30,000. This is the Citroen EC3. Mm-hmm. So, okay, the C3 is now an SUV, but... Looking at the body style of it currently, it's not far off that already. The C3 was kind of an SUV already, so that's it's, it's an evolution. Yes, but this is going to cost from around £23,000 with a range of approximate 199 miles, which is, even if you take, say, 30 or 40 miles off for real-world actual use and 
changes of conditions. Still 160, 170 miles. That's still pretty useful. I mean, we'd absolutely smash going around Britain in that. <laughs> I know. It's the same. Everybody goes, oh, this terrible tiny, tiny ranges. And I'm like, right oh yes. Back in my day when we when managed to get round. <laughs> when I worked, lad. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's an SUV. It's got some cladding on it. It has hints of what the Ollie concept showed us. But I get very strong emerging market vibes in the design. Yes, there is. And partly I think it's to do with the fact that the doors are very tall under the glass house. I've been sitting here looking at this. I reckon the if you put awful. some funky cladding on the side, uh, but it does look like it's been Ford EcoSport, that kind of thing. Mm. It does have this kind of slightly strange uh, shape to it. Uh, there was a debate before when Andrew and I were pre-discussing this. I said the biggest letdown was that it doesn't look more like the Ollie, so everyone's disappointed in it because the Ollie was very cool. And we'll blink to Citroen releases about the Ollie as well, just so you can make the comparison yourself. And the Ollie was very cool. And then Andrew quite rightly pointed out what's Citroen about the rest of it then. And the best I could come up with was it's the badge. It's not very Citroen y. All right. If this is their new design language, fine. But I've not seen anywhere where it makes it clear, look, we've got a new design language and this is the first I don't, model I don't, I, in that way. Yes, it, our, our design is going to be bland. No, it's, but it's, I don't know. But it's 23 grand. It's 23 grand and, and just under 200 mile range. We, uh, I, I will, for the looks, I don't care now. I want to applaud that alone. From an established manufacturer and built in Europe. But yes, I think it's cool. I think it's relevant as well, which are not something we can always say, hey? No. Talking of which, Alan? Uh, revived French manufacturer Delange has begun production of its new limited-run D12 hybrid hypercar, according to Autocar. Yes, Delange a uh, French brand from the past. It's been dormant for about 70 years. What they are building is about 30. I've lost a number now. About yep. 30. Uh, what I can only describe as Jota Scribbles. The kind of weird, pointy supercar thing that you would scribble in the um, in the margins of your exercise books when you were at school. Yes, all computer games that didn't yes. want to have to license Oh yeah, to to In car manufacturers, but wanted to make a super racy car. <laughs> yes, so this is the D12 GT. It is very pointy. The canopy lifts up. It has active aero. It has all sorts of cool stuff. It also costs one point seven million pounds each of the thirty. And there isn't the next Delonge is already on the on the drawing board as well. Excellent. Excellent. There we go. We can join the queue for that one. Yeah, and he's sure. also hinted he started design work on a third car. Oh really? Oh that's mm. nice. Isn't cool. it? I, I'm, I'm all for multitasking, especially yes. on something as specialised as a V12 hybrid hypercar. Okay. I don't know why we include these some weeks. I really don't. Because we need a little bit of <laughs> silliness. Well, that's true. That's true. Right. Yes, and we'll move on to the Jaguar F-Type ZP edition, which is the final hurrah of the F-Type in internal combustion engine guys. 
And it's the V8, uh, it's the last V8 sports car that Jaguar will be producing as they go to a fully electric future. There will be only 150 of these built and only 10 set for the UK. And their prices will start at £134,925 before you do anything like change a paint colour. That's a premium of £30,000 over the side of the car, and you're well into 911 territory there. Ouch. Nice mm. cars. I've always liked them. I've not d- to driven one. No, I've never driven one. I've sat in one, but I've never driven yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm I think I'm at the same level. Yeah. Um but anyone who drives them says a great and I keep forgetting they exist until I see one. Like I, I did uh last weekend, I saw one on the road and it was just like, Whoa, they are so good looking. Yeah, they are so nice. good looking. It's a it's lovely design. Use your story, need some marketing, etc. Mm. Do you want to take us to something that isn't quite as good looking? I don't. I, this one's this one to me is about as 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 irrelevant as the Delange. To be perfectly honest, well, wait till next week. I've already seen one for next oh, week. No, I think I might just have to go clear out the Trello list. <laughs> the Mercedes AMG GLA forty five S has been given an overhaul. Yeah, you get new headlights if you pay extra for them. All the headlights are LED based. Mostly the article revolves around the headlights. You now get body-coloured wheel arch trims instead of black plastic ones. You get uh, 21-inch wheels, quad exhaust trims, and all the other stuff that you'd expect from from a, a, a GLA that has ram-raided Halford. I, yeah, great. Um, that interior looks horrific. I know it's not no, helped no, no, because no, 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 the no, outside... The I know it's not helped because the outside of the windscreen has got is very much a red background, so that yeah, adds to the tint. But internally, it's lit red, with which doesn't help it. And then it's got this sort of I, dirty orange uh, trim. No, it's it's, it's, and it's then actually the silver. Yellow, the photo, right? In fairness, here the photo does it no justice whatsoever. But the choices that have been made, it's a bad photo in terms of trim color. And it's it's settings. actually you know it's actually all right yeah the choices in terms of settings you can change the settings yeah. okay please don't your it's no, a that's silver crummy also. crummy press photo which just does not do it justice although to be honest i wouldn't not a huge fan uh, as you might have guessed yeah outgoing car costs sixty five thousand pounds uh expect to pay closer to the seventy thousand pound mark or whatever it is on your PCP, because let's face it, nobody buys these outright. They are all bought on PCP uh, mm-hmm. and then ragged uh, to heaven and back, basically. Yep. You would never want to buy one used. It's, a, it's one of those cars that you, if you go see one, you expect it to be on Huang Long tires and stuff. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right, I'm going to take us to Audi then. And mm. in 2025, the A4 will be the electric version, but they are going to continue to have an internal combustion engine. I think this is our last generation that will be, but that will be called the A5, and that will yes. be a saloon and an estate version. Yes. It's not confusing at all. No, but they feel that it's going to have a decent range because it's whilst it's based on the same as the Q6 SUV platform that does 373 miles, this will obviously be lower, um, more streamlined, it claims here that it'll be lighter, but we'll wait and see. And so they expect a, a range of closer to 400 than 373 miles. 
no idea about price, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That will change a lot between now and then. And oh, there's there's lots of silliness. Human centric arrangement for the internal for the high definition screens. Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? That's what it's all about. The I know they're just a rendering. Well, the externals. They are an auto car rendering. The externals. But if it looks anything like that estate version, there, that's quite good looking, isn't it? I just can't stand the front end. Oh, I, don't I know. I know, this is I, render, I know they're taking the. They're, ju- they're just the rendering. So not, I don't mind it. I just can't stand that. I just think okay. it's. Okay. okay. I don't. I, I think there's hardly anybody has got electric front ends sorted these days. But well, because there's going to be an internal combustion engine version, I think they're almost doing the problem BMW have got with the five series. Instead of why do we need to make it look like an internal combustion engine version? Ah, uh, because if you don't, then it looks like a Tesla, and it's like this sort of weird beaky. Well, no, you can do front. something with the front other than what they're doing. I mean, Hyundai manage it, Kia manage it. Mm, yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, but their branding hasn't been hasn't revolved around the the grill for the last yeah. seventy yeah. years. Yes. You know, that's, that's, that's it. True. That's 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 what the difference is. That's true. Take us to points of interest and some fun stuff. Yay! Some fun stuff. I I like this one. Uh, this is actually a story from Renault itself, and it is the Japanese passion for the Renault Kangoo. Who knew? <laughs> exactly. I think it's so funny that all these tiny little Kai vans and stuff come to the UK and the US. And people are like, oh, these are the greatest things ever. Look at them. They're fantastic. And the, whereas the Japanese are buying up Renault Kangoo and going, look at this. This is the greatest thing ever. And yes, every year, thousands of them gather at the base of Mount Fuji, a well-known uh, French. <laughs> <laughs> well-known French icon. To share their passion and celebrate the French Ludospace. The 20, that's quite, get worked out quite what the phrase is for Ludospass, other than it's a place where, where people called Ludovic meet. But the 2023 event was an opportunity for Renault to present the new Grand Kangoo for the Japanese public. I think it's, it's not a very long thing. There's many nice photos, though. No, but it's okay. I'm linking to a Car Throttle article as well. Oh, at cool. the bottom of that, there is the link to the actual live stream oh, wow. of the Sunday that it happened. The Jamboree 22, the Kangoo Jamboree uh, 2023. I love it. Look, they've got fake, if you look in the pictures, they've got fake French number plates with the Japanese ones beside. I'm sure that someone somewhere, well, it's some sort of homage to the fact that at every Japanese car show in Europe, there is someone that has the fake uh, initial D uh, tofu shot livery down the side. Someone here, there will be some, some something here that, that's advertising a boulangerie patisserie somewhere in the somewhere in, in, in the heart of Provence or something. I just love the fact that it's it's the other side of a mirror. Yes, absolutely. To all these things. I think that's that's very, very cool. Oh, there's a Cubo there as well. Look, a little tiny one. Wonderful. So do click on both links in the show notes. And like I say, on the car throttle one at the bottom of that article is the live stream if you would like to see more of exactly what what happens at the event and and everything it's just, it's just I, I enjoyed that lovely part far too much how many baguettes can you fit in the back of one <laughs> many yes. many okay let's have a look at some interiors then alan in list of the week which i don't think you would be putting many baguettes in at all because you'd be fearful of dropping in crumbs one of them should be designed with that kind of thing in mind i think oh well they all should of course from this list from top gear Mm-hmm. Is there an an interior that you go, yeah, that's the one? It's very tricky, actually. There's there's, there's a few. 
for different reasons, but I'm going to mm. choose the Lexus LC because it is a lovely, lovely interior with those wonderful Philippe Stark door handles. Yep. I just have to be one of the newer ones which gets rid of the little touchscreen, uh, the little trackpad between the seats. Um, no, but no, the, the Lexus LC is a glorious, glorious place to be. Finally, a system built for a left-hander. I'll have that. Yep. Yeah, um, no, that, was, that was I my choice as well. For the same, same reason. But uh, to be honest, all... All of them have very strong merit. All yes. Yes. Y- y- yes, they do. And, and most there of is the a, ones... Th- there is an easy way to justify every single one in this yeah. list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's no losers in that lot. No. Okay, do you want to round out then? Yeah, round out with the end finally. And this week, it's your chance to see the Rimac Electric Supercar Factory from a drone. Probably the closest any of us are going to get, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. It takes a drone flight through the Rimac factory uh, just outside Zagreb in Croatia in a single take. And you'll go from the front door right the way through past all the meeting rooms and then down onto the production line along the production line. I love stuff like this. I think it's really cool, really clever, really nicely done. Worth a few minutes of your time. Yep. Cool. I think that rounds us out for this week. Yep. No parish notes just yet. Uh, no. There'll be some. We're up to something later in the week, and then we'll tell you what it was next week, or yes. we might tell you in advance. Don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is a two search for crack windscreen on either Twitter or Mastodon. And Alan, if people would like to talk to you directly, what's the best way for them to do that personally? The better ways are Twitter or Blue Sky. I've also been bullied back onto Mastodon as well, so thank you very much. <laughs> but basically any of the social any of the reasonable social media channels uh, where I'm always and at, Twitter. And Twitter. Uh, X. <laughs> Uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.